to singing tonight, and so we get right to the preaching. So it'll be either a short service or a long sermon. I'm not sure yet. Just see how it goes here. Exodus chapter 8, we'll be reading verses 1 through 15 as we go through our study of the book of Exodus. And the title to this section of scripture is Making God Known. Exodus 8, 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. And if thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs. And the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into thine house and into thy bedchamber and upon thy bed and into the house of thy servants and upon thy people and into thine ovens and into thy kneading troughs. And the frogs shall come up both on thee and upon all thy people and upon all thy servants. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. And Moses said unto Pharaoh, Glory over me, when shall I entreat for thee and for thy servants and for thy people to destroy the frogs from thee and from thy houses, that they may remain in the river only? And he said, Tomorrow. And he said, Be it according to thy word, that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from thee and from thy houses and from thy servants and from thy people shall they remain in the river only. And Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried unto the Lord because of the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died out of the houses and out of the villages and out of the fields and they gathered them together upon heaps and the land stank. And when Pharaoh saw that there was respite he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Let's pray. Dear Lord, once again, it is our privilege to enter into your house, into your presence, and into your word. We're so thankful that there are things that we don't have to wonder or worry about, such as wondering whether or not you are here, for we know you are because of your promise Wondering whether or not we will hear from you because we know we have your word in the Bible. Father, the only variable in this situation is our own hearts. And so I pray that you'd make them true and right. I pray that you'd make them soft and receptive. I pray and ask, Lord, that you would help us to see the big picture of what's going on in this passage of Scripture. And I pray that in Jesus' wonderful name, amen. We have entered into the ten plagues section of Exodus. It goes from Exodus 7 to 11 and then the Passover and chapter 12. And so quite an extensive passage of scripture that is uh, coming to this. And as you think about this, this is a very unique demonstration of the power of God. Never has God operated this way before. If we read everything in the Bible up to this point, he has never sent ten plagues 
upon a people, and never do we read about it again after this point. The closest thing that comes to it is in the apocalyptic book of Revelation with the uh, seven, uh, seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven vials. They bring some plagues and issues with them. But this really is a one-off, unique demonstration of what God is doing. And so that draws the question from us to ask why? Why, why is God doing this? Why is he operating this way? I mean... At the disposal of God are an innumerable amount of resources which he could have used to liberate his people. Could he have not sent one plague and freed them all? I mean, one plague that could have targeted all of the fighting soldiers uh, and able men in Egypt, and the Israelites could have walked out of that place. And as far as that goes, God could have sent a, 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 a uh, citizen-wide plague that would have been contracted by every Egyptian, and he could have preserved the Israel's lives as he did with some of these plagues when he separated and made a vision. Yet, he did not do that. He gives these ten plagues and they are somewhat graduated. First they are inconvenient and then they are destructive and, and then they are invasive into their very bodies and beings, terminating with the highest, uh, most dreadful plague, which is the death of the firstborn. And so there must be some purpose behind this. And this evening, instead of just simply digging into this one plague of the frogs, I want us to take an overview of the entirety of these plagues uh, launching off from here and examine the scriptures to discover God's purpose in these 10 plagues. And so if you like to keep notes, number one, uh, to convince Pharaoh to release the Hebrews. That's pretty obvious. The reason God issues these ten plagues, uses these ten plagues, is to convince Pharaoh to release the Hebrews. He first is not interested in it at all, and then a plague comes, and, and then he will repent, and, and he'll say, I'll consider it now, and then he changes his mind, and it comes again. But by the time the ten plagues are finished, Pharaoh is thoroughly convinced to let the people go in. In fact, he orders them out of the country, get out of here, go, we don't want to see your face anymore more. What is helpful in discerning the purpose of these plagues is the fact that God has referred to them in other places in the Bible. And so instead of just uh, pontificating tonight and giving you my opinion of what I think the purposes are, I want us to do a little Bible study and uh, just uh, run through the scripture to a few other references that make it clear as to what God's purposes were. And so if you would hold your place there in Exodus, let's go to Psalm, uh, the Psalm, Psalm 105 where we find that it is clearly stated that the purpose of this, these ten plagues, was to convince Pharaoh to release the Hebrews. Psalm 105, uh, beginning in verse 23, is one of those chronological historical psalms that is recapping the history of Israel. And beginning in verse 23, it picks up with the history in Egypt at the time of the plagues. And it says, Israel also came into Egypt, and Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham, verse 24. And he increased his people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies. He turned their heart to hate his people, 
to deal subtly with his servants. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They showed his signs among them and wonders in the land of Ham. Watch the list of plagues. He sent darkness and made it dark, and they rebelled not against his word. He turned their waters into blood and slew their fish. Their land brought forth frogs in abundance in the chambers of the kings. He spake, and there came divers sorts of flies and lice in all their coasts. He gave them hail for rain and flaming fire in their land. He smote their vines also and their fig trees and brake the trees of their coasts. He spake, and the locusts came, and caterpillars, and that without number and did eat up all the herbs in their land and devoured the fruit of their ground. He smote also all the firstborn in their land, the chief of all their strength. He brought them forth also with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. Watch verse 38. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them fell upon them. And so if we are discerning why God chose the route of the ten plagues when he never did that before or after, Psalm 105 is a biblical commentary on these ten plagues. And it tells us clearly that they were glad when these Israelites left because they were literally plagues that were destroying their land. I mean, the land of Egypt was decimated by the time the plagues ended. You talk about a recession a depression, an economic setback, a famine in the land. I mean, all of those things, when you calculate the damage that was done to the crops, the damage that was done to uh, the, uh, the cattle industry, the damage that was done to the workforce, the damage that was done to the army, the damage that was done economically as they spoiled the country as those Egyptians gave silver and gold to the Israelites to leave. Uh, Egypt was glad for the Hebrews to leave. And so one obvious purpose is that God used these ten plagues to convince them to let his people go. I find these things to be encouraging because I believe, and as you do, that we are God's people today. And that while God in his word is not always giving us a prescriptive text, that is, that when he writes this about how he dealt with the Egyptians because of the Hebrews, it's not a prescription for how we are going to operate today or how God's going to operate among us, but it is descriptive of how that God loves and cares for his people and that when they are in an oppressed culture, that he has a way in which to convince the oppressors to let his people go, to deliver his people from bondage. And so that's encouraging to me in the times that we live in and the threats uh, that we may see to our religious liberty, certainly the threats to our doctrine and philosophy. What I know is that our God is able to take care of his people. And so the first purpose, convince Pharaoh to release the Hebrews. Purpose number two, to fulfill the covenant promise to Israel. To fulfill the covenant promise to Israel. God made a covenant with Abraham when he called him out of of Ur the Chaldees. He promised that he was going to make out of him a great nation. He renewed that covenant to Abraham's son Isaac. And he renewed it again to his son Jacob. And he passed it on to those 12 descendants of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. God made a covenant. We find it. Back in the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, 
in which God calls Abraham. And he says this, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Now watch this condition of the covenant. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, we focus mainly on the blessing side of that covenant because God promised the gospel in that covenant to Abraham. In fact, Galatians chapter 3 says that, that God preached, uh, that Abraham preached the gospel before. Well, what is the gospel to Abraham? It was that God was going to bless all the nations of the earth through Israel. And no doubt he has blessed many through their physical presence on the earth. But the full view of that covenant is that he would send one through their line who would bless the nations. And that is Jesus Christ. And so that usually gets the focus when we look at the covenant of Abraham. But if you notice, God didn't just say, I will bless you and I will bless them that bless you. By the way, that would always cause me as an American citizen to vote for Israel and for its support because I still believe the Bible is applying to that. But he also says, I will curse him that curses you. I don't know how you can look at their time in Egypt and not consider that a curse. Oh, just a stink bug. No need for fright. Stay here, my friend. Egypt has cursed Israel for hundreds of years. They have made them their slaves. They have burdened them. They have tasked them. If you remember, the book of Exodus begins with the decree to kill all of the male babies of the people of the Hebrews. I mean, Egypt has been cursing the Hebrews for a long time. And God's purpose in the ten plagues, one of his purposes is to fulfill the covenant promise to Israel. He promised that he would curse them who curse his people. And this is the fulfillment of that. God unleashes ten curses on the nation of Egypt. And my friend, he gets retribution. He gets a reckoning for the cursing that Egypt has put on them. Again, as I am drawing from that historically and thinking about how that applies to me, I realize that I am in a covenant relationship with God, that I entered into a covenant with him through Jesus Christ. Christ is our proxy so that that covenant is unconditional like the one that he made with Abraham. Abraham didn't have to do anything for God to keep up his end of the covenant. All you and I do is enter in by faith to this covenant and God the Father has made a covenant with God the Son and he has made some promises in that covenant to you and I. He has promised to you and I the forgiveness of sin. He has promised to you and I the abundance of of life. He has promised to you and I eternity in heaven. He has promised to you and I that he would never leave us or forsake us. He has promised to you and I that nothing can separate us from his love. He has promised to you and I that he has a plan for our lives and it will be fulfilled. And so I am encouraged when I read about the Ten Commandments because I understand that God's fulfilling a promise of his covenant to the people of Israel and that there's not one promise of the covenant that he's made to me 
and that he's made to you that he will not fulfill. And so, to fulfill the covenant promise of Israel. Purpose number three, to destroy Egypt's false gods. To destroy Egypt's false gods. As God is unleashing these ten plagues, not only is he convincing Pharaoh and Egypt to let the Hebrews go, not only is he fulfilling the covenant promise to Israel of cursing those who curse them, but he is also destroying Egypt's false gods. Consider these verses. I'll read them to you if you want to jot them down. Exodus 12.12 says this, Against all the gods of Egypt... I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. So God says plainly himself about those plagues that part of the purpose is that he's executing judgment against the mythological gods of Egypt. Again, Numbers 33 verse 4 says, For the Egyptians buried all their firstborn, which the Lord had smitten among them, upon their gods also the Lord executed judgments. Why ten plagues? Well, if you read a Bible commentary about that, you will find somebody usually mentions the number ten as being a number of completion, how that the, the ten commandments are a complete unit of the law, and, and it's indivisible. Even though we break it down into one through ten, and we talk about the two tables of the law, it is always referred to singularly. It is not the laws, it is the law. And so it is that idea of being a completion. And so Bible commentators will say, well, this is complete judgment of God. That number 10 represents that, and that may be so. But you will also find that historians uh, indicate that there were 10 major mythological gods in Egypt at that time, and that each of these plagues really demonstrated God's power in that area and the Egyptians' God's inability to preserve it for their people. And so, uh, the turning of the river Nile and the rivers into blood, uh, I am told that uh, the Egyptians had a god of the Nile named Hapi. And so, as Moses stretches out the rod and turns the Nile into blood, all of a sudden, uh, this god in Egypt, that is the god of the Nile, is shown to be powerless against the Hebrews' god, Jehovah Elohim. The second plague is the calling up of the frogs. Well, uh, the Egyptians had a goddess named Heket, and she was the goddess of fertility, water, and renewal. And would you believe that they have found depictions of her, and she was most commonly depicted with the head of a frog. Now, I don't know about you, but that just does not make good sense to me. Uh, you know, I remember reading the children's story about toad and frog, and I thought it was interesting to see those fellows dressed up in suit coats and whatnot. But I don't want my God to have the head of a frog. There's nothing in that that inspires me to worship that. But archaeologically, they have found those renderings. And so here is one of their goddesses that has the head of a frog. And 
Jehovah Elohim demonstrates that he is the God who has the power over those amphibians. As he calls them up into the land, floods their houses with them, and then exterminates them in one day. And the stink that filled the land, the stench that was in their nostrils, was a reminder to them that their goddess did not have power against Jehovah Elohim. The third plague is turning the dust into lice. And this is an attack on the god Geb, the Egyptian god of earth, dirt, and dust. And so if you remember in this face-off, as we'll see next week, that's when the Egyptians could no longer stand before Moses. They stood before him when the water was turned to blood and they imitated that. They stood before him when the rod was turned into a serpent. They imitated that. They stood before him when the frogs were called out of the river and they imitated that. But when the dust is turned into lice, they can no longer stand before him. They actually make a blasphemous proclamation. They say this is none other than the finger of God. And they were not talking about their God, Geb, who was the Egyptian god of dust. The fourth plague was the plague of flies. And we find that the Egyptians had a god named Kepri, who was the Egyptian god of creation and rebirth. And he was depicted with the head of a fly. And so again, God is targeting one of their gods. We go down the list. The next plague is the death of the cattle. And we find that there was an Egyptian god named Hathor who was the goddess of love and protection and she was depicted with the head of a cow. I don't know why this is surprising to us. If you look at the Sphinx in Egypt, you'll find that it is, has the head of the cat. You will find that the depictions of the Pharaoh oftentimes would have the head of a dog or some sort of rendering that way. And so that was common. In fact, I'm told... I'm told that there is a, a drawing uh, in Jerusalem that was engraven and it was a man on a cross with the head of a donkey and it was the Romans taunting the Christians saying that that's what they were worshiping. And so in the ancient Mideast, it was common for them to take a man or a woman and to give them the feature of an animal to depict them as deity. And so Hathor, the Egyptian goddess, had the head of a cow and God sends this meringue that destroys the cattle. The sixth, God, the sixth plague is boils and sores. And uh, we find that there was an Egyptian goddess named Isis who was the goddess of medicine and peace. And so as they would cry out to this goddess in the pain of the boils and the oozing sores that they had, they found no peace and they found no medication from this goddess they had worshipped. The seventh plague was hail, fire, and rain that came down. And we know that there was an Egyptian goddess named Nut that was the goddess of the sky. And even though they would have called out to her in that time, she could not stop that destructive uh, hellfire from coming down. 
The eighth plague is the wind blows in the locusts that destroy the earth. And we're told that there was an Egyptian god named Seth who was the god of weather. And as they probably prayed for the wind to blow them back out, uh, their god Seth could not fulfill that promise. Only Jehovah Elohim could. Just as God blew them in with an east wind, he blows them back out with a west wind. The tenth or the ninth plague was darkness, no sun at all for three days. Remember, God said through Moses, the darkness will be so thick that you will feel it. And that even though they would attempt to light candles, it was enshrouded in darkness. It would not provide any illumination, except for in the land of Goshen where the Israelites were at. Well, one of the most well-known gods in Egypt was Ra, the Egyptian sun god. And God puts him, God Jehovah Elohim puts him under his thumb. And he says, I can block out one of the greatest of your gods, not for an hour, not for an eclipse, not for a day, but for three full days. And as you watch these plagues, they seem to be graduated in degree of severity, which brings us to the tenth plague, which was the death of the firstborn, that God said that he would take the life of the firstborn from Pharaoh's house all the way down to the servant's house. Well, did you realize that Pharaoh was worshipped as a deity? In fact, he was believed to be the most powerful god in Egypt. He was considered to be a descendant or a son of Ra, the sun god. In the ancient Near East, their view of gods was that these gods, while having great power, were very fickle. And that they would get into fights with each other and that human beings were just the bystanders. And so sometimes human beings were the recipients of good things. Sometimes they caught the flack from the gods. Sometimes they were just, they were just collateral damage in this, this spiritual battle that is going on. And so as they would have viewed these gods, they would have made great sacrifices to them. They would have had temples built in different places around the land. They would have offered various things to them from animals to harvest, uh, sometimes even offspring to, to try and get their favor or their pleasure. But in Pharaoh, they believed that they had the power of a god in their ruler. Now that seems odd to you and I in our western hemisphere but I can tell you they still view the emperor of China that way deified the emperor of Japan was that until we conquered Japan and MacArthur is the one who made him step down there was a major shift and the way they viewed their emperor in Japan after World War II, which was a devastating blow to their morale because they thought that their emperor was a deity and that that power could not be conquered. And so Pharaoh is seen as a deity. So imagine, imagine the impact that is made as God enters Pharaoh's house in the middle of the night and takes the life of his firstborn son. Exodus chapter 12 verse 29 and 30 describes 
this scenario plainly. It says, and it came to pass at midnight, the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne, notice how specific that is. It's because he was set up as a god. From the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. For there was not a house where there was not one dead. And so God in using those ten plagues, absolutely decimates this false belief in these Egyptian mythological gods. But I see one more purpose in the ten plagues. Not only was it to convince Pharaoh to release the Hebrews, it's also to fulfill the covenant promise to Israel. It is to destroy the Egyptians' false gods, but forth. It was to make God known. The ten plagues were to make God known. If you would, look back with me at your text in Exodus chapter 8. Notice verse 10. Actually, let's back up a moment. Hold your place in chapter 8, verse 10, and let's go back to chapter 5. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, we find the Moses' first encounter with Pharaoh. Remember, Moses comes as the representative of Jehovah Elohim. He has met God at the Mount Sinai in the burning bush. He's been commissioned by God. He's been empowered by God. He has come back. He has presented his vision and his calling to the elders of the Hebrews. They have confirmed him. And now he goes in with his first audience with Pharaoh the king of Egypt. Exodus 5.1, And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God, thus saith Jehovah Elohim of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Watch Pharaoh's response, verse 2. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? To let Israel go. I know not the Lord. Neither will I let Israel go. That's the first encounter that Moses has with Pharaoh. Pharaoh's response is, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? I don't know him. I don't recognize him. He is not my God. I don't even consider him to be a God. Well, let me tell you, friend, that is one of the worst things that you can say to God. That is one of the worst declarations that a person can make. Because if God is passionate about anything, he is passionate about his glory. That he is recognized for who he is. Now look at Exodus chapter 8 verse 10. And he said, tomorrow... And he said, be it according to thy word... Here it is, watch this clause... That thou, Pharaoh... Mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. There's none that is like to the Lord our God. 
One of the greatest purposes for the ten plagues. Why so many? I mean, why not three? Why not five? Why not stop at seven? How about nine? Surely he didn't need to go through with that tenth one. Yes, he did. Because he was dealing with a hard-hearted unbeliever in Pharaoh and in Pharaoh's followers. And God said, I will make you a believer. Not in the sense of redemption, but in the sense of recognizing that the God of the Israelites is greater than any imagined God they had in Egypt How powerful was this? This is where it gets interesting to me. As I said, we look at this. This little stink bug's about to get saved. He's up here in the Bible. Well, unless I turn to another passage, little fella, and you might might not get saved. If you move ahead to Exodus chapter 18, Moses and the people of Israel have exited the land and they've gone out into the wilderness. They're approaching Mount Sinai. Moses' father-in-law comes to meet with him. And if you remember, Moses' father-in-law's name is Jethro. And he's identified in Exodus 18.1 as Jethro, the priest of of Midian, the priest of Midian. Now, just because Moses married his daughter doesn't mean that this guy was a saved man. If he was a priest in Midian, remember the Midianites were some of the greatest enemies of the Israelites. And it is even after this that the Midianites attack the Israelites and God wages war against the Midianites. And so this priest of Midian would have been an unbeliever. He would have been a priest of a false god. Now, listen to his testimony and listen to why he gives this testimony in Exodus 18, verses 10 and 11. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, blessed be Jehovah, who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know... That the Lord is greater than all gods. For in the thing wherein they dealt proudly, he was above them. That's a powerful statement. That's not Moses saying that I know that God is above all gods. Hey, Moses is already a believer. This is an unbelieving priest from another religion. And he says, because of those ten plagues, because of what I have heard and witnessed that your God did to their gods, I now know that he is greater than all gods. Surely is not that God's purpose in the ten plagues, to make himself known. But can I take you to a higher degree of evidence? Leave Exodus 18 and go to 1 Samuel chapter 4. 1 Samuel chapter 4, you're covering about 350 years from the time of Moses all the way up to the time of Samuel. In this passage of Scripture, they have not yet coronated a king. They are still under the rule of judges. Samuel is the last judge before a king is installed. If you remember, Israel 
has had the Ark of the Covenant and they have been in a battle with the Philistines. It hasn't gone very well for them. And so they bring the Ark of the Covenant from Shiloh and they bring it into the war camp. Now watch. Again, the testimony we're about to read in 1 Samuel 4 verses 7 and 8 are not from the Israelites. It is from the Philistines. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? Now, they didn't have their theology right, but watch. These are the gods that smote the who? The Egyptians. With all the plagues in the wilderness. Well, I would say that was pretty effective. That if God's purpose in the ten plagues was to make himself known as the great God. And 350 years later, a different nationality of people who are also pagan unbelievers have heard the stories of what the Israelites' God did to the Egyptians through plagues, and they are still scared by it at this point. I would say that that was a pretty effective means of achieving that purpose. And as the last testimony, I would remind you, again, you don't have to take the time to go there, but Romans chapter 9 gives commentary about how God used Pharaoh, how he hardened his heart, how he used him as a vessel unto dishonor so that he could display his wrath for his glory. And Romans chapter 9 verse 17 says this, For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up that I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. My, doesn't that sound a whole lot like what we were talking about this morning when we talked about missions? That God has had this one underlying desire from the very beginning, and that is that the world might know him. And while God chose to reveal himself through the destructive plagues on Egypt to tear down those false gods, in this dispensation of grace, God's underlying desire is still for the world to know him, but instead of dealing with them in severe judgment, at this time he is dealing with them in grace. And instead of sending the ten plagues, he has sent the church and commissioned it to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature to testify of the power of our God so that the world might know that there is a God and his name is Jesus. There is coming a day, remember, I told you the closest thing that these ten plagues are the seven seals the seven trumpets, and the seven vials. 
And when this period, this grace period comes to an end, God's purpose will still be achieved in this world as he unleashes the wrath of his seals, his trumpets, and his vials on the earth. And those destructive plagues strike again. And those unbelieving nations, against their will, will have to confess that there is none greater than the God of Israel. Would you bow with me? Dear God, we do not want to be guilty of not recognizing who you are, how great you are, and doing our part to make you known to others. While we understand it was not easy for Moses, although he had this empowerment, we see his struggle in being the executor or the messenger or the deliverer of your plagues and your messages. And yet he was faithful to the task until Pharaoh in all of Egypt knew that there was a God. Father, I pray that even though we may not be comfortable with our calling, even though we may be reluctant to be the deliverers of the gospel to someone else, may we be found faithful in fulfilling your purpose that all the earth might know that there is a God. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.